0: So we will go ahead and jump in. This morning we're going to be in Luke chapter 16. So if you have a Bible with you, you can open it up to Luke chapter 16. We'll be starting in verse 1 once you get there. We are going through a series looking at some of the parables of Jesus and all that we have to learn from them. Uh, We're actually in the last couple weeks of that series here before we start our summer series. Uh, And so today we're going to be looking at another one of Jesus' parables This one in Luke 16 and verse 1. If you don't have your Bible with you or you're having trouble finding it, that's fine because we'll have the text up on the screens next to me, so you'll be able to follow along there. All right. So we're going to be reading from Luke chapter 16 and starting verse 1. It says, Now he said to the disciples, there was a rich man who received an accusation that his manager was squandering his possessions. So he called the manager in and asked, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you can no longer be my manager. Then the manager said to himself, what will I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I'm removed from the management, people will welcome me into their homes. So he summoned each one of his master's debtors. How much do you owe my master? He asked the first one. A hundred measures of olive oil, he said. Take your invoice, he told him. Sit down quickly and write 50. Next he asked another, how much do you owe? A hundred measures of wheat, he said. Take your invoice, he told him, and write 80. The master praised the unrighteous manager. Because he had acted shrewdly. For the children of this age are more shrewd than the children of the light in dealing with their own people. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of worldly wealth, so that when it fails, they may welcome you into eternal dwellings. Whoever is faithful in very little is also faithful in very much, and whoever is unrighteous in very little is also unrighteous in much. So if you have not been faithful with worldly wealth, who will trust you with what is genuine? And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to someone else, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters, since he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So here we have another parable from Jesus. Another, uh, if you've been with us for for the last several weeks in this series, then you know that Jesus' parables are are often very colorful in, 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 the, in their stories and the plots of these, these short stories, especially in terms of the characters that are in these stories. Uh, and here we have yet another very colorful story from Jesus, an almost comical story from Jesus. There's certain, some, certainly some comic elements in the story of the way that this manager responds. Whenever he, I can't help but laugh when I read when he says, what am I going to do? Or he lets me go because I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm too proud to beg. So, you know, I'm going to have to use my mind for something else. And so, you know, he, he sounds like an intellectual. Uh, <laughs> and so he, he, there's these comic elements in it and the, these, you know, interesting kind of unsavory characters. And yet in all of this, some very profound lessons that Jesus has to, for us to learn, and in this one especially, there are a lot of lessons for us to learn. There, just in Jesus's own applications at the end, there you know the 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 last like third of this passage is just Jesus driving home his points and applications about this. There, there's so much just there that we have to unpack. Uh, we're not going to be able to hit every single point. From this parable today, but we're going to highlight this, which I think is the main point of this parable. And this is actually going to be our theme today and next week. So our theme for the last two weeks of this series, which is the theme of stewardship. This parable, we can get into the weeds of, you know, of a lot of different things that Jesus said here, but ultimately what the theme of this parable is, what it's all about, is it's about stewardship, And like I said, that's what we're going to be looking at today in this parable, as well as next week as we look at another parable that is going to be on the topic of stewardship. They're they're slightly different in their nuances and what they uh, directly apply to, uh, but we're going to be looking at both of those. Stewardship, you know, since I, I think that's a term that we don't use super often, maybe except in church, right? We use it in church. But stewardship simply means that it it is the management of something that doesn't ultimately belong to you. And so for the next two weeks, we're going to be looking at how are we stewarding our lives and how are we stewarding the things that we have, whether the wealth, relationships, opportunities, time, and so on that we have in our life. How are we stewarding these things, which are ultimately given to us by God to use for his purposes? That's what we're looking at today and next week with these parables. And so we start this week with this really fun parable about the shrewd manager. We're going to look at three things. First, we're going to look at the reckoning, and then secondly, the preparation, and then lastly, the key. So the reckoning that we face, the preparation for it, and then the key to how we can live a life where we prepare for that. So let's start with the reckoning. Have you ever had a moment of reckoning in your life before? A time where you had to come and give account for something, whether it was uh, you had to give an account for how you were using your allowance money or, or your parents sent you into your room to clean up the room and you found yourself doing something else instead. They walk in and it's that moment of reckoning for you to explain how you've been using that time. Does that resonate with anybody else? That resonates with me. I was, a, well, I shouldn't say was. I still am an easily distracted individual, so I I often had to give reckonings for my time. Have you ever had a moment of reckoning before where you had to give an account? One really big example jumps from my mind, whenever, I think I was a junior in high school. I was a junior in high school and, as I already mentioned before, being an an easily distracted person, uh, I had racked up a hefty amount of tardies for class. I I kept showing up to class late, you know, I went to strict private school so you'd get pink slips every time you uh, showed up to class late for being tardy. And so I had, you know, had a good little stack of pink slips there for always being late to class. And so I had, you know, uh, that stack had gotten high enough to where I earned myself an in-school suspension, right? So it's free labor for the school. So I got an in-school suspension. So they said, all right, here's the date for your in-school suspension. Here's the form. explaining it. Bring it home and give it to your parents. I, could, I took the form, and I was looking at it, and uh, and I – I think I had to sign it, and, you know, the dean of students who, you know, is in charge of discipline, he signed it, Um, but there was nothing for my parents to sign. There was nothing that that required me to show it to them and then have to bring it back to the school, so I took that, and I just put it in my backpack and left it there. Now, I had P.E. first hour because I, I was in athletic P.E., and so I went to school every day in my gym clothes anyway, so... It wasn't out of the ordinary for me not to be in my uniform going to school because I could just put on my PE clothes and go to school for my in-school suspension. And to my parents, it looks all the same. So I thought, this is brilliant, right? I I figured it out, Um, right? I'm I'm not, uh, you know, I'm I'm not brave enough to tell my parents, you know, I sounded like the shrewd manager. And so I go to my in-school suspension and I'm thinking, boy, this is great. You know, I don't have to be in class. I'm just going around sweeping and doing whatever they want me to do, hanging out, and uh, and they call me into the dean's office. And so I go, I go into the dean's office, and uh, he was one of my football coaches too. He was one of our defensive coaches, and the head coach of the football team was also sitting in there too. So two guys that I had, to, I had a lot of reckonings with. And uh, so I go walk into the office, and uh, and the dean says, "Hey, champ, you're gonna have to go with." Uh, so and so because we need you guys to run to units to pick some things up for the school so we're going to get your mom's permission for you to go off campus and I must have had a look on my face because he immediately goes did you tell your mom that you had a suspension and I was this was one of the most embarrassing moments of my life so they put my mom on speaker phone as I had to stand there and tell her hey mom I'm actually suspended today and all this as like I said, my head coach was sitting there just watching. They loved it. They were soaking it up. You know, uh, it was awful. It, that was one of the uh, most excruciating moments of reckoning for me, where I had to give an account for what I had done. All those tardies that I had racked up and, you know, uh, being deceitful by hiding the in-school suspension form and all all those things. It was a moment of reckoning for me. And whenever we read this story here about the shrewd manager, he has a moment of reckoning. This news comes to the master. This would have been an extraordinarily wealthy man. Scholars who look at this and say, you know, the amount of like olive oil and bread and wheat or whatever else that these people owe, um, in order for them to owe that amount, even if he was charging uh, extremely high interest rates, which he most likely was. Um, he he was an extraordinarily wealthy man, you know, had thousands of acres to produce uh, olives and olive oils and, and wheat and all these different things. And so you have this extremely wealthy master, and he has a manager who works his estate, right? the The estate does not belong to the manager. He's managing it, and he is in charge of giving out loans and working out deals in terms of the interest rate, to get returns on those loans, to continue building wealth for his master. He's similar to like a broker in terms of, you know, our day today, where he is managing the wealth of his master on his behalf. And these reports come that he has been dishonest, that he's been unrighteous, that he has been uh, squandering the master's wealth. And so there's this moment of reckoning here in verse 2, where he brings the manager in and he says, "'What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management.'" So here you have this guy, like I said, he was a broker, he was in charge of managing something that didn't ultimately belong to him, but it was underneath his authority, it was, it was his charge to manage it well and to manage it in such a way that it benefited his master. And now he has this moment of reckoning where he is called to give an account for the way that he's been handling his master's money. And so before we get into anything that happens after this, I just want to pause on that reckoning and give us our first point. The first thing that we need to see is that all God's people will be called to give a reckoning of their stewardship. One day, all of God's people will be called to give a reckoning of their stewardship. Because, you see, what we believe in Christianity and what we believe from Scripture is that everything that we have, everything that we own, ultimately is not ours but was given to us by God for us to manage, right? We believe that the Lord, that God is sovereign over all the earth. In the Psalms, it talks about how God owns uh, the cattle on a thousand hills, right? Uh, it, It talks about how he is Lord, how he is sovereign over the heavens and the earth, and how everything belongs to him. And so because everything belongs to him, well, then what does that mean for the things that have our name on it? Well, what it means is, is that those things, those vehicles or those homes or those, uh, those, those cell phones and all of your possessions ultimately are his. But they have been given to you to steward, to manage uh, for the benefit of his name and glory. You see, so we are stewards who have been given everything that we have in order to manage it for, uh, for the sake of God's name, to bring him glory and, and so on. We have been given that charge. That is our job, our calling, just like it was the job of this manager to uh, to manage his master's estate and then had to give an account for it. This is a part of what it means to be made in the image of God. Maybe you've heard that before. One of the, one of the, the central and, and most beautiful and also most unique distinctions of the christian worldview among all the various world religions and philosophies that we every single human being was made in the image of god now this means a lot of things and you know theologians and philosophers have discussed it and debated what it means for centuries on end but one of the things it means other than just it giving equality and a dignity because it does mean that every human life is valuable but it also comes with a charge Because a part of being made in the image of God comes, it comes with a charge, with a calling, which is that we are to be stewards of God's creation. Because whenever you go back and read in the creation account, whenever you go back and read in Genesis 1 and 2, whenever God created the world, he forms the Garden of Eden, and then he places uh, his people in the garden, his people who are made in his image, and then he takes these people who he made in his image, and he places them in the garden, and it says to work it and to keep it. Now, here's what we need to understand is that being made in the image of God and being placed in the garden with this, with this calling, this job description means that these two things are connected in a sense because they are working as God's representatives in the world, being made in his image, right? Representing him doing his work on his behalf and among his creation, among his property, among his estate, being made in the image of God also carries along this idea that we are stewards in the world that belongs to God, but that he has given us to work and to keep. And so even today, in whatever place you find yourself in, whether you're still a student, whether you're building your career, whether you are you know, in, the, in the middle of your career, you're changing careers, whether you are starting a family or you've got grandkids, wherever you are as a person made in the image of God, in whatever garden he has placed you in, He's called you to work in and to keep it, to steward that which is ultimately his, but to work and to keep it for his glory. And one day there will be a reckoning. One day we will be called before the Lord to give an account for the things that he has given us to steward. Have you ever considered that? We know that there's a judgment day, right? Maybe you've, you've heard that before, or you've had someone yell it at you before, that there will be a judgment day. Right? Where God, is, he, he's going to have his day for all those bad things you've been doing. But here's the thing. For believers, there's no judgment day. Your judgment day fell on Christ already. Right? There's no condemnation for you. But as his people, you, you will be called to give an account. You will stand before God and have to explain, like, here is how I used the opportunities and the wealth and the relationships that you gave me. And so the application of this is that we are stewards until the day of reckoning. Let me ask you, do you manage your wealth as if you will one day give God an account for how you used it? Whenever you form your budget, if you have a budget, whenever you are spending your money, whenever you're deciding you know what, what ways and areas your, your finances are going to go towards, are you doing it as if it is just yours to decide, right? Or are you doing it as if uh, how I choose where my money goes and what I spend my money on and and what, uh, you know, causes I give it to, I am one day going to give an account to God for how and why I used it this way. Not just your money. Like I said, everything is given to us by God to steward. So let me ask you this. If if you're married, husbands, do you look at your marriage and do you look at your wife? You know, you, you engaged people in here. Do you look at that future spouse as a relationship, as, as a person that you have been given to steward and that you will one day have to give an account to God for how you stewarded that relationship? Husbands, especially, wives, do you look at your marriage that way? Parents, those of us who have children, do you look at your children not as just, you know, the, <laughs> these cute little gifts that you get to put on Instagram? Or, on the other hand, these little monsters that you've just got to put up with until bedtime. (laughs) Parenthood is one or the other all the time. I'm just giving you a heads up. If you're not in it yet, it's just one or the other. Uh, Do you not just look at your children that way, but in every opportunity, whenever they're being cute and whenever you are having to discipline, right? Whenever you are are cuddling and whenever you're bringing the rod, (laughs) the rod of justice. Do you look at your children in that relationship and that role that God has given you and see it as this is something that I'm going to give God an account for how I handled it one day. If you aspire to be a church leader, for those of you guys who are already in leadership in here, and for those of you who are pursuing leadership in in ministry, whether it was in the church or outside, do you know that in the New Testament it says that, uh, that we who are church leaders will one day stand before God and have to give an account for how we shepherded those that God put under our charge? This applies to all of our life. Do you approach life, whether in in any of these areas, in your marriage, in your parenting, in your friendships, in your job, and in in your finances? Do you approach it all as I am not to just use these things for my own pleasure and for whatever I I, I think is good and for whatever my world, the, the culture around me tells me is good, but am I using these things in such a way that I will be able to stand before God and joyfully? With pride, tell him, "Here's how I use what you gave me." I hope that that's the way we'll be able to do it one day. So there will be a reckoning. So how do we prepare for the reckoning? Well, let's look at what the the shrewd manager does in this parable, because Jesus is telling us how to prepare for the reckoning. So afterward, after the manager calls him in, I'm sorry, after the master calls the manager in. And he says, what have you been doing? You know, your days are numbered in this organization. <laughs> so the manager goes out and he comes up with this plan. He starts going to all the different people that he's been, that he's been working with, that he's been giving loans to, been saying, how much do you owe? They all owe an, owe an extraordinary amount. If you were here last week, you remember we looked at the parable of the unforgiving servant and how this servant had a debt that was just nearly impossible to ever be paid back. You know, it it was years and years and years of worth of wages. What these people owe is the same amount. So just, you know, in terms of like 100 measures of olive oil and 100 measures of wheat, these are uh, debt amounts which would be nearly impossible to pay back, which would take decades to pay on. So they have these extraordinarily huge debts before the master. The manager goes and he says, you owe 100? Okay, well, just go ahead, write a check for 50. I'll take that. We'll call it even. He goes to another. and he says, okay, you owe this, write a check for 80. We'll call it a day. You're good. You can go free. And so he starts doing all this. What is he doing? What is he trying to make happen? Well, here's what he's doing. He knows, because he just had the reckoning, that his days with the organization, with the business on that master's estate are numbered. And so he is going around and he is trying to create a network for himself to give himself some future security and to create some opportunities for himself whenever he is unemployed in the near future. That's what he's doing. He's going around and he's trying to make friends for himself because that's what he's doing for these people who, imagine if you were uh, feeling the weight of an incredible burden of debt, right? And then one of the lenders came to you and said, uh, here's, a, here's an easy way out. We're going to let you get out of this debt uh, with an amount that you can afford and you're going to be free from this debt. That's somebody that you would really like afterwards, Right? Or on the other hand, if a parent or a family member or someone stepped in to pay an extraordinary bill that you had, that's someone that you'd like a little bit more afterwards, right? That's somebody that you would be a little bit closer to. That at family Thanksgivings and Christmas, you'd sit down next to them at the dinner table because of the extraordinary generosity and kindness that they had showed you. That's what this manager is doing. He's going around and making friends for himself. He's trying to build up a network so that, like I said, whenever he is unemployed, well, then he'll, have to, he'll have this safety net to fall back on. Maybe one of them will have an opportunity for a new job to be able to step into, right? But that's what he's doing by going around and reducing all the debts that, uh, that are owed to his master and getting some cash for them. There's also another kind of unintended uh, benefit that happens. Number one, he's making people like his master more, right? Because they see him as, yes, the, the broker they've been working with, but they know that he has, as, as his master's broker, he has full authority to set amounts and to reduce debts and to set interest rates and all these things. And so, whenever he comes and he reduces their debt so they can get out of that debt, then it makes them not just like him, but it also makes them like his master more. Because, wow, he, he reduced my debt in half. Or he, took, he made it something that I could afford so I could get out of it. That makes them like the master more. And... It generated, although it wasn't the full amount, and it, it generated some immediate cash flow for the master, which is why, after he runs around doing this, it says uh, in verse eight that he comes back and it says, "The master praised his unrighteous manager because he had acted shrewdly." So what is he doing here? He quits using money as just a tool to get wealthy, and he starts using money as a tool to make friends. He quits using money as just a tool to get wealthy, and he, started, he starts using money as a tool to increase the popularity, the fame, the reputation of his master's name. If we're going to understand this parable, then we need to understand this. And I've said this before in some of the other parables. Jesus really often used uh, examples and characters in this story that you really don't want to imitate. But he's trying to show us just one thing that one of these unsavory characters does that we can learn a lesson from. You remember this from the parable of the unjust judge and the widow. It's hard for us to look at the unjust judge and say, "So we're supposed to learn about God from that?" But it's because it it was if a judge, if this unjust judge who is that bad of a person could act in this way, then how much better our good Father? What's similar here? We have these unsavory characters, this dishonest manager who obviously he was he was doing something wrong, right? Whether he was embezzling, whether he was just being uh, lazy and squandering his master's wealth, he was doing something wrong. The master was giving uh, loans out that people could never repay, and it was predatory lending. These are unsavory characters, but it's here in what they did there that we need to zoom in and look at closely because this is what Jesus wants us to see from these unsavory characters. He's wanting us to see how, look, if this shrewd manager, if this unrighteous broker and his predatory lender of a, of a master could act in such a way and have such a mind shift in how they're using their money how much more so should you? That's what he's trying to say. He's trying to say, if they could be so shrewd, what that means is making wise judgments, you know? If they could act this way, then how much more should we? In other words, what he is saying is, we need to take note of how they use their finances to build those friendships. That's what we need to see. And so here's where we get to our second main point. Preparation for that reckoning should involve a prudent use of all our resources, but especially in the area of finances. It should involve a prudent use of all our resources, especially in the area of finances. Preparation for the reckoning means having a mindset shift, right? a, a, A change in the way that we approach how we use our, all of our possessions, but especially our money, from just looking at it as tools for how, looking at our money as, as tools for how we build more money or as tools for how we just get what we want, and to instead starting to look at it as tools for how we bless others and bring glory to the name of God. Right? Just like he did. Although in his unsavory character and in, 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 in some slightly different motivations, he started using that money as a way to build friends and then inadvertently increase the reputation of his master. Jesus saying, we need to start approaching our finances in a different mindset as well. When you start approaching it in a way as how can we use our worldly wealth? That's what Jesus says there. He's not talking about like like bad money, okay? He's just talking about all wealth, right? Like the money that you tithe to church and then the money that you use on taco sisters, like one is not worldly wealth and the other one holy wealth, okay? It's all worldly wealth. So whenever Jesus says use your worldly wealth in this way, he's just talking about everything that you have. But he's saying we need to have a mindset shift and how we use it and how we use it to to build friendships right, and to help others and to use it in a way that increases the reputation of our master who ultimately owns all that worldly wealth that we have. Are you guys following with me? But especially in the area of finances. Like I said, today and next week is about stewardship, but today I think that the nuance of this story and the application of this story is really more about, about money and about finances. Because Jesus says in verse 11, uh, if you talking about worldly wealth. So if you have been faithful with worldly wealth, if you have not been faithful with worldly wealth, who will give you what is genuine? He is talking about money here. And then also in verse 14, right after he teaches this story, it says the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, were listening to all these things and scoffing at him. And so that's Luke's way of also reminding us Jesus was addressing the way we, we use our money here. Okay. And so this brings us to our application. We are stewards of money that is not ours. We are stewards of money that is not ours. But my goodness, how often do we, do we clutch onto it and hold onto it and protect it and then, and, then decide, and then decide to splurge on things and use it as if it is just all ours, right? That all, that all the money that I get from my paycheck it's just mine to be spent on whatever desires I, I please, right? Or on whatever I want to do with it. But not as every paycheck that comes in, here is another opportunity for me to use this in a way that honors my master. Right? How often do we use it as if, as if it's just ultimately ours? But we're stewards of a money that is not. What does it mean? And how are we supposed to steward our money that is not ultimately ours, but steward it in a way that honors our master? There's so many different things we could talk about, right? I just want to bring about two from this parable, okay? The first one is this. First, it means that you should be faithful in little or in much. You should be faithful, whether it is in little or is in much. A lot of us in this room are in a stage of life where we need to learn how to just be faithful with little, right? A lot of them in here just have little. Some of us in here, maybe you have much, Right? But no matter where you are, what Jesus wants us to see here is that you must be faithful with whatever you have. In verse 10, he says, whoever is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And whoever is unrighteous in very little is also unrighteous in much. Jesus is trying to teach us, and whatever you have, and to whatever degree of wealth that God has given you, whether little or much, you must use it faithfully. You must use it responsibly, right? There's so many ways that we could define and flesh out what using it faithfully means from Scripture. We don't have time to get into all those things, uh, but let's just leave it there now, and then you can explore that later. We'll we'll explore that later. We should be using it faithfully. That's the first thing. You should be faithful a little or much. The second thing from this parable that we can point out is that you should be generous with what you steward, So stewarding a money that is not ours means we need to be faithful with it, being responsible with it, and that we need to be generous with it. You should be generous with what you steward. Why? Well, because of those two things that we already saw, The the two results of what happened from that shrewd manager's actions. We should be generous with our money because we bless people and we make friends. I mean, Jesus says that himself in here. He says, you should be using your money in a way that makes friends with, in the world, right? He says, bless people. You know who people generally uh, tend to really like? Generous people. <laughs> Generous people are more attractive. They're more likable, right? And so Jesus says, use your worldly wealth. Use what God has given you to make friends for yourself, right? To, to increase your attractiveness in your community, in your family, Because generous people are attractive. Generous people are the kind of people that everyone else looks up to and wants to be like, right? So you should be generous because, one, it makes friends. It blesses people. And then, two, because it increases the reputation of your master. And so you can try to be generous and bless people in a selfish way, right? I fully see that. I know that. You can try to do it in a selfish way where it's all about your reputation And you can try to do it in a way where it's not so much generosity as it is a favor with a string attached, right? But being truly generous means that we bless people just to bless them, not to get anything in return. And we do it so that they might be blessed and so that they might might see the glory of the generous giver who gave us that wealth that we then just bless them with, right? Christians, we have an excellent opportunity here as both individuals and as a church who for, uh, in, in how if we could live lives of radical generosity, bring glory to God, increase the reputation of the name of our master. And so that's why you should be generous, to bless others and to glorify your master. Now, all this sounds good, but how can you really start to live that way? How can you really start to become a better steward of your wealth, because this isn't the easiest thing to do, right? This is something that that I'm certainly still working on in my own life, right? Trying to learn how to become a better steward, how to try to be more responsible, how to become more and more uh, radical in my generosity. It's a lot easier said than done. Even when we start talking about financial strategies and, and, and budgets and things that we should be doing with our money, a lot of us can usually talk through those things a lot better than we can actually live it, right? A lot of us can really talk through well about being disciplined with our spending until you're walking around at Target and you see all of these things that you want, right? And then all of a sudden, oh, it's really difficult. How can we change? How can we change from being selfish to being selfless? How can we change from being you know, poor stewards, wasting our money, and being responsible? From being stingy to being generous, Here's the key. Jesus tells us himself at the end of this parable how we change. In verse 13, he says, No servant can serve two masters, since he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. In those statements is the key to how we make the shift. Here it is. Devotion to God is the key to proper stewardship of money. That is what Jesus is revealing to us here. Devotion to God is the key to proper stewardship of our money. Here's what this means. If you've been listening to this and you've been thinking, whew, I don't really live this out very well, right? If you've been thinking, does my bank account reflect the type of responsible spending and radical generosity that I'm supposed to be living out in a way that honors God and brings, you know, glory to his name? If you've been looking at this and thinking, oh, you know, I've got some work to do here. I know that, like I said before, I've got some work to do here. The key for you does not come from just, well, I got to start a budget. Well, you know, I need to to get rid of my debit card and go to the cash system. Or I've got to, you know, find a new financial strategy. All those things are good. I'm not against those things. But here's the thing. If you don't have a shift that happens in your heart first, then better strategies, better practices, the best of budgeting apps, financial courses will not help you change your behaviors until your heart is first changed. Until your heart goes from being split between serving God and money to just being fully devoted to God, then you'll be able to use money in a way that honors the name of your master and not in a way that you're just a slave to that money or a slave To all those that you are in debt to because of your behavior with money. Jesus wants you to move into greater and greater financial freedom, but he doesn't necessarily want that to first happen just because you won the lottery and were able to pay off all your debts and then live with no financial woes, right? What he wants to happen, the key to financial freedom first happens here and here, in your heart and in your mind. That's what Jesus shows us, the more devoted we are to God, the more that the Lord is our master and not money, then the greater freedom we'll have to not be a slave to our money, to not be a slave to, to how much is in your bank account and feeling, feeling great anxiety whenever it's low or feeling, you know, uh, <laughs> exuberation <laughs> whenever it's full of, how you, of of all the wonderful things you can spend it on now. It'll be the freedom that you need to quit spending more than you're taking in and then racking up all that debt that you have, right? I'm all for being debt-free, right? We're, We're doing the Dave Ramsey course over here at Redeemer right now, right? I'm all for it. I'm bought in fully on the plan. But let me tell you, if you try to go through that plan while your heart is still divided or while your heart is still serving money more, you're still devoted to money more than you are devoted to God, it's not gonna work. You could win the lottery tomorrow pay off all your debts it's not going to work the key to the change so that we can start to live in a way where we are we are prepping for that day of reckoning that and we will be able to stand before God with a heart full full of joy and pride and being able to show him what we what we did with what he gave us right with a don't you want to be able to do that one day with a smile on your face say Lord here's what I did with what you give me there's nothing wrong with looking forward to that. Just in, in the way that, you know, that my kids come running up to me, excited to show me what they've done with, with, the, with the toys that I gave them or, or you know, the, the paper and the crayons. And look, Dad, here's what I did. Don't you want to be able to do that with your Heavenly Father one day? The key is for your heart to be more and more and more devoted to Him. And the more devoted to Him, the more free you'll be to not be a slave to money. But if you're still struggling to grasp this and understanding, you know, just not, like, using all my resources in this way and really having my heart devoted to God and how that frees me, then we need to zoom out from this passage a little bit. We need to zoom out a little bit and look at John 15. In John 15 and verse 14, this is Jesus. He said to his disciples, this is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Here's what I mean by this. If you're still struggling to see how, how you can be completely free from, from, the, from the pool and the allure and the, and the temptations of money and wealth and and, and, and all of our culture's lies about affluence and what it can do for you. If you want to be uh, free to be able to make friends with people and to bless people, not because you need something from them, but just because you have a, you have a heart of generosity and you're, you're, you've, you're able to do it, right? You don't need something from them. And if you don't understand how to move in a greater and closer devotion to God, then you need to understand what Jesus is saying here. What Jesus is telling us and telling his disciples. He says, I want you to love one another as I have loved you. Well, how has Christ loved you? How has, how has Jesus loved me? He tells us, he says, no greater love is this than to lay down your life for your friends. How has Christ loved us? He has loved us by laying down his life for us. Christ loved you. In, in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, Paul said that God proved, he demonstrated, he showed us, he, he put on display his love for us, whenever while we are still sinners, he sent Christ to die for us. Jesus says here, I'm going to show and prove my love for you whenever I display the love for which there is no greater love, whenever he lays down his life for you. Whenever Jesus relinquished all that was his, Jesus the Lord, right, who, who owned all and who owned all and, and, and earned all, Res, re, um, deserved all of the favor and riches and blessing that God the Father could have poured out upon him, Jesus relinquished all of these things. He laid them down whenever he went to the cross, and instead he took on our punishment. He took on what, what we deserve. And even despite doing all those things and going through all of that, he says, in other words, he says, if you receive what I've done for you and, and follow me, That's what he he means by saying, if you do what I command, because if you follow him, you'll do what he commands. He says, and so if you do what I command, if you follow me, then you're my friends. How often do you think of Jesus as your friend? Whenever you think of the gospel, whenever you think of that, that story of our Savior going to the cross to purchase your freedom from sin, right, to pay for your debt, whenever you think of that story, and you think of all that it means and offers, How often do you think of it as an invitation to a friendship with him? I think often we overlook that because we don't talk about it as much, but I think often we avoid that. I think that our reluctant hearts, which are slaves to wanting to work for our righteousness and who are always doubting and holding on to sin, are very, very hesitant to believe that Jesus' love could be so great for us that he would not only die for us, but after dying for us, he would want to be friends with us. Because we know us. I know me. I'm surprised any of you are friends with me, much less him. How often do you think in the same way? Right? I know myself. How could he want to be friends with me? But he says to us, He laid down his life so he could have that kind of relationship with you. Not just one where he's Lord and your master, not just one where where he's the giver and you're the recipient, but where you're friends. Now, church members, just think, how generously could you live today with your wealth, whether it's little or much? how, How radically could you bless people How much of a friend could you be to people, regardless of what they can do for you in return, if you would lean into and open up to and receive that friendship from Christ? If your heart was so satisfied by him, and knowing that he has loved you to that degree, and that he wants to have that kind of a a relationship with you, if your heart has been freed that much, how easy is it going to be for you to dive into the love of God and to pull closer and closer to him in devotion. You see, so if you're thinking and wondering, how do I grow in devotion to God so I can be more free from my money? Well, it is by receiving the invitation to friendship from Christ, meditating upon that friendship. And then the more you receive that, the, the, you're gonna be running into greater devotion to God. You're gonna be sprinting into it. You're not gonna be able to hold back from it if you're just trying to get yourself there by your own effort without first looking at the the savior who laid down his life to be friends with you then it's not going to work receive that friendship be satisfied in it grow in greater devotion and then you're going to become that that person who is more attractive through your radical generosity who's surrounded by people that want to that want to be friends with you that like you surrounded by people who are going to be there for you wherever you need them and so the last application here and where we'll finish is just that we are the recipients of a friendship that cannot be equaled. And whenever we receive that friendship, then we're freed to live in a way to make that mind shift to where our money and our possessions are no longer things that are just tools to use to satisfy ourselves, but tools to use to bless others and to increase the name, the fame of the name of God. The deeper you present of friendship given to you by Jesus, then the easier it will be for you to properly steward your finances and be radically generous. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you and we just, Lord, we are in awe that you, the the infinitely holy, sovereign Lord, the God of all wisdom and knowledge, the God of uh, pure goodness and righteousness and justice, that you desire a friendship with us. Lord, that you are not satisfied with us just being pets, that you're not satisfied with us just being uh, your charity cases, who, who receive your grace and then you have nothing to do with afterwards, Lord, but that, that you desire a deep, intimate relationship with us that can only be described as a friendship. Lord, would you ease and uh, and work in our hesitant hearts that are addicted to our own works, that are filled with doubt and insecurity because of our idols and our sin. Lord, would you work in our hearts that want to pull away from and that want to avoid that truth. Lord, would you deafen the whisperings and the lies of the enemy Who wants to place a wall and an obstacle between us and you and us experiencing that friendship with you because because the enemy knows that the more that Christians and that disciples of Christ are leaning into that friendship with Christ, the more free we will be from, from his works and from his temptations. The more free we'll be from the lies of the world and the more free we'll be from the allure of money and from the temptations to become debtors in this world because we cannot control the way that we spend? Lord, would we receive the kind of freedom first that is true freedom because it happens in our heart and mind when we are fully devoted to you as our master and then our money is just something to be used to honor you and not something to master over us? Lord, we pray this in the name of Christ who is our Savior and through him is the only way that we might live out our life in this way. We pray this in his name.